On today's episode of the Runway 19er podcast, I have Air National Guard member Jeb Ritchie come on to talk about his experience joining the military so far and how he is eventually going to become a fighter jet pilot. Jeb does maintenance on A-10 Warthogs and works on the avionics and now works on F-16 fighter jets. Stay tuned. When would you say was the first time in your life that you got the flying bug? Should I should I introduce myself still? Yeah, fair enough. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay. So my name is Jim. Uh, I guess we met in college uh, our first semester. Um, I'm in the Air Force, uh, Air National Guard. Uh, where I used to work on A-10s. I'm now working on F-16s. I uh, do avionics for them. So it's a little bit of my background. All right. So you have your private pilot's license and you're working on your instrument license. When did you get your private pilot's license? And what I got, mm-hmm. What would go you ahead. say was the moment that you were first inspired to go get your private pilot's license? Well, so I was first inspired. So I started flying when I was 12. Oh, wow. So I started flying at a very young age. Um, the moment I started wanting to get my private pilot's license was when I was in second grade, um, because of as stupid as it sounds, my whole, my whole aviation career base is based off of a video game down to it. And it also is through the military. Um, so as you know, I wanted to fly a tents, uh, and that is what I'm currently working towards. Um, so from a very young age, being in second grade, um, I, I was playing backups too. And I was like, there's the kill streak, the warthog. Um, and you know, I started looking it up cause I thought it was just in the game. I was like, oh, that's real. I was like, that's what I want to do. As stupid as that sounds, it was just like, I was like, that is what I'm going to base my whole career off of. Uh, so I started talking to my parents and they, uh, I think it was sixth grade, um, fifth or sixth grade i can't recall um like all the way back then but uh they got me a discovery flight and mm-hmm. so that's when i started to flying i you know i just did a lesson like every month and um i was flying like once every other month up until kind of covid ish um uh-huh. and then it kind of was just hard to uh because i had a really shitty instructor do you want me to go into that or do you you know you, yeah of course do you want me to like, like so, segue in so basically you've you've flown for a long time i didn't even know you've flown for that long um yeah that's yep. crazy dude um so you've flown for quite a long time and so where did you get your private and did you go part 61 or part 141 so i was part 61 um okay. And I got, I did all my stuff, my, that's my discovery flight and my uh, private license through uh, New Horizons in Goshen, which is okay. Indiana. So, so that's flew, KDSH. So you flew out of Goshen, Indiana. Um, I'm yep. assuming you flew 172s, right? I flew 152s. I was 152s. flying 150, I flew 152s. And then okay. after I got my private license, I went to the uh, Piper Cherokee. 
Piper Cherokee. Okay. So you went ahead and when did you get your private license? So I got my private license, um, I think June 3rd of 21. Okay. Yeah. 21. Wow. So how old were you when you went ahead and got that private license? So I was 17. Wow. I was, yeah. So I was 17 and I was about to turn 18. Okay. Awesome. Um, so you went part 61 last episode. I talked about part 61 versus 141. How was part 61 for you? What was your instructor like? Um, and how was it to get a private since you were 12? Did you go into the check ride over prepared or how did that work out? And also when did you take your written? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to hit you with all of this. I'm going to kind of break it up. So my experience with 161 is I went through, I believe it was six different instructors, mainly because of the course that I was flying from. Um, because some of these guys either retired or went to the airlines. Um, yeah. But my last two instructors were really the instructors I started flying with. Mm-hmm. My So all those instructors don't really matter all that much because it's the, the first 10 hours and I wasn't old enough to solo yet. So those lessons don't, I, I'm not even going to get into that because that's the first 10 hours. Yeah, of course. But that was probably just like uh, the same flight over and over, I'm guessing. Yeah. And, it, and I was doing it in such a sparse time that uh-huh. it, I, not that I wasn't retaining the information, but it, I wasn't very, I wasn't learning much. Yeah, of course. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to go to a towered airspace and, you know, go do that. Um, and also I was like, I was 14, so they're not going to take yeah. me up and, you know, go do that and whatnot. Definitely. But no, so I believe it was my freshman year. I started really flying over the spring break. And that was like the put in preference, like kind of like an idea. That was like my first cross country. I flew my first cross country my freshman year of high school Yeah, during spring break. Um, so I had an instructor um, and uh, this his his name's Austin. I'll just say his name. I don't give a shit. Um, and you know he was one of those instructors that um, he uh, he only wanted to get to the airlines. He was being he was a CFI just to get you know get his you know I think he he was getting fifteen hundred. So he was getting his fifteen hundred hours. You know, being an instructor and getting out. And that's all yeah. he, he cared about. He didn't. I mean, I, at least that's how it was for me. And me Definitely. being so young and me not knowing a whole lot, I, it was kind of harder for me to learn it because I wasn't, you know, an adult. And so I think he was like mid 20s. So, you know. So he was just very rushed to get to the airlines. I've had instructors like that, too. I think there's some instructors yeah. who really care about their students and some who just yeah. want to build time. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and, I'll, and I'll get to I'll get to that because I'm, I'm very thankful for the instructor I had after him. Um, so I was doing all my stuff and I eventually did my first, uh, solos Uh and looking back on it, I am thinking how the fuck did this guy let me fly? Because I, in all honesty, I didn't really know shit. Really? So, yeah. And I'll, and then that's kind of just a separate story too. But, um, 
you know, <laughs> it, it's it's honestly crazy. But nonetheless, um, so I I, uh, I took my I took my written with him, and you know, I was using Sporties. That's what I was using at the time. Yeah, and I took it when I was sixteen. Uh, uh-huh. So COVID's you know kind of just around, about to start all that fun stuff. So I took it, and I think I got a fifty-two on it wow. because what I was told that everything that me and my instructor went over, Austin, that I would be fine, and I yeah. would you know I would pass the written. Definitely. So I come back, and he's like, "Yeah, you're just not meant to be a pilot." Really? So your instructor yeah. told you you weren't even meant to be a pilot? Yeah, he he uh he told me off after I failed because I was like I you know I didn't think I was ready and you know I obviously I did study and you know I was coming in and coming in, in with questions and you know, all that and trying to ask questions and I thought I was going to answer but I cl- like clearly wasn't. Wow. Um. And yeah, so at the end, he was just like, I don't like, he's like, I don't think you should be wasting your money on this. I, I don't think you're meant to you know, be a pilot. And um, so I had that. Um, and that was, you know, obviously extremely disheartening. And I think I took about a eight month long break of after course. that. Yeah. And did you come up with like separate plans during that time or did you think about a career change or anything or you just were no, taking a break? No, I just took a break um, because I, so I, by that time, by the time I had, um, was starting my private license, I had my whole military career planned out and it is, it is still the, besides the stuff that I didn't know I would have to do, like. For example, I didn't know this. My training was coming up. This conversion through the Air National Guard that I didn't know. You know, three. You know, three year, three years from then that we would be switching from A10s to F16s, and I would need to change my AFSC or change my shred on my AFSC. So I, you yeah. know, there's stuff that I couldn't predict. So there's stuff like that. But everything else, that's a, the exact plan that I had. When I was in third grade, I'm still following now. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a career change. It was like COVID's co- going on right now. I you know, I was working at a butcher shop at the time. So and you know I was I was dating one of my exes and I was just kind of I was kind of just focused on that, just yeah, doing that and definitely. Also COVID, so it was kind of hard to fly because it was it, it was the initial peak where it, you know you're we just didn't have school. Of course. But um. Yeah, I and so I talked to another instructor. His name was Roger, and he flew for American Airlines for, I mean, he retired through them. And uh, he's, I think, a CFI and CFII. I think uh-huh. um, one more. I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't want to say it and be wrong, um, but I just can't remember what else. Um, but... So I, I sat down and talked with him and Roger was such a great instructor. He sat down and he explained it and he taught me from the ground up in 15 hours. Yeah. 15 hours is what it took him. That's crazy. Now, a lot of that was sitting down and doing all this and that. And um, 
You know, it was a lot of the book work, and I managed to pull a 85 out, off the test. Okay. Pull so, and go ahead. So you took your new written almost a year after the initial take. Roughly, yeah. Yep. Wow. So throughout so, your flight training, um, how did military aviation change that? Because you've always wanted to go into the military and whatnot. How did you view that initial part of flight training versus someone else? So honestly, um, it didn't play much of a role in honesty because I didn't enlist until after I had gotten my private license. Yeah. Um, I knew the reason I was getting my private license was because I knew that regardless of what the air force is going to teach me or the military, uh, depending on, you know, what's, you know, selection I go through. Yeah. Um, the fundamentals of flying is all there, you know, and flying is what I want to do. So it's kind of just for me to do on my own time. So it didn't ever really pay, play a factor because I wasn't enlisted then and I didn't have any ties. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do, if that makes sense. Of course. So about when did you enlist? So I, so about a month and 12 days after I got my private license, I enlisted with the 122nd uh, uh, Air National Guard. Okay. So I'm not an expert on how all that works. Um, mm -hmm. From what I've heard, you select like a few jobs that you want when enlisting into the military. And there's like a chance you get each. I don't know how right I am on that, but. Um... So you are yes and no. So it's okay. a little bit. It's so here's how it works for the guard. That's how active works. But here's how the guard works. So my whole process with the guard and listening through the guard was, it was a little funky because, um, I was trying to get all my paperwork sorted out in March of 21. Uh -huh. Um, and I went to maps, which is your uh, military entry processing. I think that's what it is, but it's, it's where you go to, you know, see if you're eligible to be in the military. Okay. Like the um, office in the strip mall. Kind of like that. Or is that like that's like, that's like, center? That's a recruitment center. Okay. Uh, right. This is like a, like a kind of like a medical center where you like go and get like evaluated, you know, the, your analysis, your blood test, your psyche valve, all that kind of stuff, like color blindness and, yeah. you know, like all that stuff okay. to see if you have any defect defectivities and you can't do something, you know, this and that. And then it qualifies you for what jobs, because a lot of these guys are going to these to MEPS. And then that same day, they're shipping out to basic training. Wow. So it's different for the guard because you can enlist. It's easier to enlist earlier. Yeah. But I went in March. I was 250 pounds. Uh -huh. And because I was that was my COVID fluff. And so I spent. From like the beginning of March. To the time I enlisted, I went de back down to MEPS on July 15th of 21, and I ended up losing 70 pounds. Yeah, of course. Over that like four month period. That's insane. Um, and I went to MEPS, and the same day that I, because all that I had to do, I was good besides my weigh in. I had to uh -huh. do my weigh in because you have to be a certain weight at certain heights so like for i think it's six foot for the air force it's 191 
it'd be 191 yeah. pounds. That's your yeah, max. So I had to lose all that weight. So I came back and um, did all that. And then while you're down at MEPS, you take your ASVAB. And that's what that that'll give you us. It's pretty much just imagine as a scorecard and in like general electric administrative and uh, like mechanical. I think it's what the Air Force is. It'll give you uh, values up to 99. And then there's certain jobs that allow you to pick what that is. With okay. the Air National Guard, if there are slots inside those, like there, we call them shops. If there's uh, slots that are available, you yeah. can select that if you're if you scored high enough on the ASVAB. Now, for active duty, if you just score high enough, you can select just a couple of jobs that you apply for, and then it's kind of just whatever the Air Force needs for you. The Guard, okay. you have a little bit more of a saying what you want. Yeah. Okay. So did you initially try to put pilot or how did that all work? So to be a pilot, you have to be an officer, which requires a uh, bachelor's degree. Okay. And then you have to go through all the specific pilot training. Mm. So I enlisted and I was looking at a couple of different jobs. Um, I was looking at crew chiefs, which are like you would do kind of your basic mechanical keep up. So, and changing tires. And then you also marshal, yeah. uh, you also aid in uh, what's called hot pits. Uh, imagine uh, pit stops for air. Oh, fighters. When yeah. you're going from base to base and you got to get re oh, you got to get rearmed and put fuel on. Um, that's just pretty much what hot pits are. So crew chiefs will do that. And then I was looking at avionics and I was like, I was, you know, kind of talking to the guys in the shop, which are the guys I work with now. And they were like, this is probably the closest you will get to being a pilot because you learn all the stuff that the pilots know. And mm -hmm. a little bit more, it's a little bit more of the component side rather than the actual like, like physical application of it because the pilots are the ones using it. But we have to know how to recreate the, like the discrepancies if something fails while the pilots are using it. Okay. So that's what I ended up picking is uh, avionics. Okay. So essentially the guard, you have to go do another closely related job for a while, get that bachelor's if you want to become a pilot and um, do all the training beforehand as well. So you, if I want to go... You don't have to do any of that. Really? No. Okay. Yeah. You can, what you can do, you can... I don't mean to interrupt you, but you can get a bad, what you're doing right now, you can get your bachelor's, have no affiliation with the military, and then yeah. you can go to off, officer training school. Okay. And um, as long as you're tied through, if you're trying to commission through a guard base, you can just try to commission through them and get a pilot slot and then, you know, straight to being a pilot with no prior okay. experience. I, I did it because this would get me closest to being a pilot. It would aid me when I get to the time when I can fly. And I didn't, you don't need prior uh, experience. There's guys that have zero like flight hours and they'll send them to flight school to go yeah. fly for the Air Force. Of course. So, but continue. So how does the rating process with going and flying a fighter jet work um, as well? So I know I'm trying to go to the airlines or do corporate. And I know that I have to walk in with private all the way up to ATP. Um, yeah. What all rating? So if I wanted to go fly um, an F-16 at the Air Force or the National Guard, what 
pilot qualifications all do I need to have? So there's quite a bit, and I don't know all of them, but I know the, the a little bit about the process. So once you get picked up for a pilot slot for the Air Force, because the Air National Guard is the National Guard for the Air Force. So it's still the Air Force. Um, so it's all the same stuff. It's just, a, it's a little bit of different workings and how we do a little stuff, a little bit of Definitely. stuff. Um, but when you go get your training, you're with reserves and you're with active guys when you're doing your National Guard stuff. Um, I'm just going to use the Shepherd Air Force Base um, as the training base that I'm referencing uh, because that was the uh, Air Force Base I went to to learn uh, my avionics training. Where's that located? Um, that is Wichita Falls, Texas. That's okay. uh, like kind of the Texoma area. Okay. Um, and uh, we we had a training. Well, it was also a training base for NATO uh, fighter pilots. Um, so I, I, w I had the opportunity to go over there and see the process of what they do. And it's about it. <laughs> it's it ranges from a year and a half to about three years one and a half oh one and a half years being the quickest you can do it because that's if you don't get held over because there's a sometimes there's just a long wait period to get in you know to fly these aircraft of course um but the first six months is you flying and a fixed prop uh aircraft learning your basics such as your uh, private you know what would be the equivalent of your private license your instrument uh, and your commercial and basic uh, combat maneuvers. Um, uh, and then once you graduate from that class, you go to flying uh, fixed prop aircraft, which I believe are T-7s. I'm not sure, uh, but that's what I was told. Uh, and then you go to flying T-38 aircraft. Um, okay. And those are dual seat. Uh, and those are for fourth gen fighters. Uh, there's some bases, there's different training bases all over the uh, United States that transfer fighters. For the new fifth gen fighters, we have their like a Red Hawk fifth gen uh, training aircraft, and they're very neat aircraft. But as Shepard, you fly Team 38s. Uh, and then you learn your uh, basics for um, CAS, which is close air support, uh, bombing missions, your uh, recoveries, uh, your surveillance, all that kind of stuff, depending on your airframe. Um, so you can get picked up for um, your fighters are your F-15s, your F-16s, your A-10s. Um, I'm not sure about U-2s. U-2s do fall under the fighter category for my job, but I'm not sure about uh, for uh, training. I don't think U-2s is exactly something you go in uh, as a second lieutenant. But you also have, um, and I believe it's just teaching fourth gen fighters. So that's your A-10s, F-16s, and F-15s um, is all you really have for training. So you get picked up for those airframes. And then depending on what you have, you learn the specifics of what they do. Because the A-10 is a close air support uh, oriented aircraft. So you have your cl uh, close air support, your... Um, so you'll be working with uh, special forces, your JTAC and all that. So they'll they'll learn that. But F-16s and F-15s also have the close air support mission roles with recovery and surveillance, uh, as well as um, your 15s and 16s are interceptors. 
and air superiority. So those have different um, mission roles. So you'll learn those two during that year process of learning that. After you graduate from that year basic flying, you will go to whichever base you're assigned to, whether that be a National Guard base, so you go back to the base you uh, commissioned through, or you'll get some random uh, base, and you'll go and start flying either for A-10s that you're a single seat, so you're going to go up with another person, you're going to fly with them, and, and you're going to learn. Um, but if Definitely. you're flying in 16s and 15s, you have your uh, D models for the 16s, which are two-seaters. I believe the E models. No, I think it's the C models are for the 15s or uh, dual seats. Yeah. So you'll uh, get to learn how to fly the back seats and eventually be flying in the front seats. That's how yeah. the fighters process works. I'm not sure how the heavies and bombers work. Definitely. So... Um... You got to be an officer, get your bachelor's of uh, your bachelor's degree, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So could I get any bachelor's degree I wanted, even like a bachelor's of arts, bachelor's of science? How does that work? The, the Air Force only cares about a GPA. Okay. You can, the, the joke is you can get a degree in underwater basket weaving and the Air <laughs> Force will take it. Yeah, of course. So as long as your as long as your GPA is good and you get that piece of paper that says you learn good, that's all they care about. Yeah, of course. Of course, that's awesome. Um, wow. Okay, underwater basket weaving—that's crazy. Yeah. So, um, that's nuts, and they only care about GPA. So, tell me a little bit about your college journey, um, where you went, where you decided to go, how that worked. So I'm, you know, as you know, this, I'm still kind of going through it. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but I do have credits through the community college of the air force, uh, from my job, um, which is A10 Avionics. And currently when I'm going through my training uh, through 16s, I will get credits for that too. So I'll, um, it's nice because I'm. it's not like I'm taking a you know, um, voluntary gap year um, yeah. or gap semester or whatever you want to call it. I don't really know nor care. Um, but I'm still getting credits for it while I'm taking classes through a community college. Definitely. But um to kind of start that, so I, I got credits because of my training, uh, and I missed a year because what would have been my freshman year of college was my t I was spending my time in Texas through basic training and my uh, technical training school, and that was all done in Texas. Yeah. Um. So, I, you know, I did all that, um, and I didn't have time for college. Um, but uh, 23, uh, the fall semester uh, – I was able to go to Indiana state and start in the PTAF um, and kind of just try, try that out. And me personally, I did not care for that. I'm not a academic oriented person. Yeah, uh, so college is very hard for me. Um, and you've seen you, I mean, you've seen that firsthand. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Cause not, you know, academics is not for everybody. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, I definitely did learn a lot and um, it, it definitely did help me kind of figure out what I want for my career. And I definitely think that what I'm doing right now where I'm doing Ivy Tech and I'm working, I think this is where I'm most happy. Um, definitely. So just kind of do a community college and just, you know, 
do that. And like, cause like I said earlier, the air force doesn't care what I get, you know, I was trying to get a degree in, um, you know, professional flight and get all my search to be ready for the airlines, but that's not my goal, nor does the air force care because they're going to reteach me all that stuff, no matter what I have. Definitely. So even though you're going and getting the degree and, you know, more of a civilian flying, you're still going to mm -hmm. have to go basically relearn everything the Air Force's way as well. Because I'm sure the way you fly through the Air Force is definitely a lot different than flying an airliner, you know, the way you view everything yeah. and most definitely. Um, so you entered college, you started the special aviation program and whatnot. Um, flew with me as well and stuff. We had classes together, mm -hmm. lived on the same yep. floor and whatnot. Um did you learn any valuable lessons, at least during your time at Indiana State or? Um, if I, what I learned and this is, you know, this is in all honesty, um, what I kind of carry with me. Um, and I knew this beforehand, but I was hoping it would get better outside of the, you know, military because I, I want to, oh, like kind of hit this on the head is. I know my whole life hasn't been military, but the significant part of my life in the most recent part has all been pretty much military. Yeah. And the most significant things to me right now have been through the military. Definitely. So when I say this, and when I reference the military, 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 it's because it's such a huge part of, uh, for me. But if I want to get shit done, I got to do it myself. I can't ask others for help because if I, you know, relying on others to help me out, it's not always going to work out. And you were always there to help me out. But, you know, Definitely. that was one thing that the one thing I was taught, you know, that you're not always going to have somebody to help you out. So you got to you got to figure it out for yourself. And that's and that was just something that was heavily reinstated uh, when I came here uh and started learning through the college definitely so at college you had to learn a lot more self-sufficiency and whatnot outside the military yeah so inside the military i had to learn self-sufficiency and outside of it i also had to learn that too uh yeah. it was more of just uh kind of reinstating the what i had learned while i was you know away um i was hoping that college would have been you know me paying people to teach me shit would have, you know, kind of made it more like, Hey, you know, I'll help you out and teach you. And I was like, okay, I guess not. I mean, Definitely. I got, I got more aid <laughs> out of the guys in the military that I worked with yeah, uh, than I did in college to be honest with you. Wow. So, um, would you recommend that someone wanting to become a fighter pilot like you someday get their bachelor degree in flight or something like underwater basket weaving? You know, I think I'm kind of just a special little snowflake because of my inability to read a fucking book. It's <laughs> Fair I just I cannot sit there and read. I can't stand it. I cannot do it. I Definitely. just hate it. You know, yeah, I can't. I can't. I, it's not fun. Not yeah. that it's, 
I need it to be fun, but it's just, you know, I just don't enjoy it. So I, I don't think people should necessarily follow what I do because I think really if you set a goal for yourself and you know what you want to do, you will achieve that. So regardless of if it's in engineering, it's in pro flight, if it's in, you know, liberal arts, political science, art, whatever it may be, if that's what you want to do and become a fighter pilot, good on you. I encourage people to, I would encourage people to find a degree that is going to aid them outside of the military because you never know what's going to happen. Definitely. No. Just because, like, in the civilian side, you can lose the ability to fly, you know. Definitely. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So you went from high school right into the military. Um, where did you do your basic training at? So all Air Force basic training uh, takes place at in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Um. And there are seven squadrons uh, because, well, I think there's actually eight now. Um, there's uh, basic training for the Air Force is seven and a half weeks long. No, there's seven squadrons. I had to do the math real quick. Uh, there's, but it's seven and a half weeks long of training. And uh, you go down and do that uh, and you graduate. Uh, and then you get what's called pipeline. Uh, and then depending on what you do, um, you get sent to a training base. So for all of maintainers, which is like 50% of the Air Force, uh, will get sent to Shepard Air Force Base, which is in Wichita Falls, Texas. And, we'll and that's get tech school. Yeah. That is your tech school, your okay. technical training school. But like the guys that are doing like special forces, uh, loadmasters, and uh, security forces, those guys will stay in San Antonio, Texas, at Lackland Air Force Base. Excuse me, and will get their training outside of basic on a different part of the installation. If that makes sense, definitely. So, um, I know my first night of college, you know, pulling up and you know having your parents drive away. It was, I mean. Not necessarily scary, but definitely interesting. I know for a lot of people, um, it's definitely such a huge thing to move into that chapter of your life. I know that must have been crazy for the military as well. Tell me about what the first day of like leaving and just stepping into that basic training was like sleeping that first night at basic. How did that go? Tell me everything about that, because that's interesting to me, the difference of that versus college. How how deep do you want me to get into it? Go as deep I can, as you I, want. As deep as I want. All I'm right. hoping that I can like use this podcast for people wanting to go to military aviation to kind of hear about and hear a lot about. Yeah, so tell me about how you felt, how that went, you know, all about that. Yeah. So I uh, left about five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I woke up at three o'clock to leave my house to get to the airport. And um, I left out of Fort Wayne, flew to O'Hare, and flying from O'Hare, I flew directly into San Antonio. Now, when I got to Fort Wayne, you know, I was 
it was just me and my parents. My dad was, you know, getting ready to go to work and so was my mom and they just dropped me off. And it was just, you know, I, I felt, obviously I cried, you know, Definitely. I, I, and I'm not ashamed to admit that at all. Um, because I, I, you know, I had a good relationship with my parents and I still do. Um, and I love my parents deeply. And so, you know, it was hard it was stepping out of the comfort zone. I was ready to go. I was ready to go do this. I was ready to take this next step in my life. But it was just that comfort. I was stepping way out of it. Definitely. Um, you know, and I, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. So trying to comfort her because I'm going to be gone, you know, for seven and a half weeks, not have my phone at all. The only wow. way I'm going to com communicate with my family is through letters. And I live, eat, sleep, and shit, you know, military for the next seven and a half weeks from, you know, 24 hours of the day. Yeah. So, um, so it was just know, very hard to have that initial departure out of Fort Wayne and go to O'Hare. Yeah. It, it it was just kind of like a, it, it sucked. And after I sat on my plane on the ride and I, you know, I started listening to music, um, it, I, I kind of just settled down. Definitely. And then I called my mom during the layover. I called my girlfriend during the layover. And I was like, fuck, I think I made the wrong, you know, wrong choice. So you actually was, I, on the way felt like you made the wrong choice, even going into the military. Well, not. Not that it was like the wrong choice, but I yeah, it, it was just that it was just a comfort. Like it wasn't that I felt like it. It was like what if it, it's that what if because you definitely you finally are doing it. If that makes sense, jumping into the unknown a hundred percent. Yeah, and it, and it was just that because and I'll and I'll get to this later, but it was it's just that it's the whole comfort thing. So you know, I, we fly at O'Hare uh, directly into San Antonio. And, uh, you know, we sit in the, um, I can't think of it. Um, it's the, uh, USOs. It's, uh, it's a military USO that's in all airports. It's the, uh, military accommodations. Okay. And, uh, when we got off the flight, we went to USO we kind of waited uh, and we got loaded onto a bus, and from the bus, we went directly into Lackland Air Force Base. Okay. And what time um, about was that that you went into Lackland? I think we got into Lackland around one or two o'clock. Wow. That's by the way, I like... had not eaten lunch yet. Um. So you're starving, tired, you know, you got all the emotions yeah. going through your head of I've just left my family and my girlfriend and stuff. That must have been tough, yeah. up, you know. But um, in all honesty, when I was on the bus and we went through the gates, I was like, holy shit, this is where it starts. You like, were excited, I, like, I, you know. I was excited. I got extremely yeah. excited. And, I, and this is the funny part. I was like, and the guy was talking to, you know, talking to us and he wasn't, he was prior military, but he wasn't military. And he was talking to us and he was just hyping this up and blah, blah, blah. Just telling us, you know, do what we're told, you know, classic military stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, 
And I, I had told my parents, like, hey, I made it onto the base. I'm not going to be able to talk to you guys. I love you so much. You know, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Definitely. And I turned my phone off. I put it in my pocket. And I just enjoyed the time that I had left to myself. Definitely. Um, I will later regret that. <laughs> I would have been doing so much more time to have, all, you know, scrolling through, you know, TikTok and all that shit. But anyways. Definitely. Uh, so it was about a 15-minute uh, drive from the gate, I think. I wasn't keeping track of time. Um, I was looking all at all the static displays of aircraft. Uh, but we went through the gates and you uh, get dropped off at what's called the PRC, which is is the building you arrive at. It's also the same building you graduate from, which is kind of cool. Wow. Uh, so you start but, and end in the same place. That's awesome. Yeah. So we we got off the, the by the way, this is all the same day. Uh, we get off the bus. Oh, no, we don't get off the bus. Uh, we have the, and you can look at the YouTube videos. It's the black lady with the blue rope on her uh, campaign hat. Um, and she's fucking terrifying. You think <laughs> she's terrifying in the, in the videos. Wait until you see her in person. And Definitely. she gets on the bus. Like he got 30 fucking seconds to get off this goddamn bus. I was, and she just started yelling at us. And I'm like, oh, this is where it starts, I guess. Yeah, and Definitely. So, and like we were the very like this bus load was the very first people to get into the base for the yeah. squadron that was coming in for basic training. This Definitely. squadron was 564 was 64 people. I think it was it ended up being 61 people, 561 people after we graduated. Um but yeah, no, they lined us up all up in line. They had us uh, backdrop. Then they had us grab all this, like all of the supplies we need for like the next two weeks because we wanted to be doing like a supply run uh, to go get like basic necessities for like another two weeks. Um, before that time, so you grab all your stuff and then you sit in the PRC and you wait. Definitely. And you wait and you wait and you wait. Uh, we got things called totems. So if you know what an MRE is, um, a meal ready to eat. Uh, okay. Totems are a smaller, um, uh, more a locale uh, MRE. So it's okay. less stuff and it's not as many calories because uh, MREs are supposed to, I think you're supposed to eat like two of them a day and it's supposed to equal like, I think four to 6,000 calories because the, you're meant to get a lot into you. Uh, these are more like a, I think a thousand calories. It's just kind of like a, you can eat three of them and not have to do a whole lot. Definitely. Uh, but when we when we got sat down, uh, we weren't allowed to do anything. We weren't allowed to uh, talk. We weren't allowed to sleep. Uh, we weren't allowed to read. We weren't allowed to play on our phones. We just had to fucking sit there. We sat there from, I believe it was 2.30. In the morning. It was one, no, in the, in the afternoon. In it the was, afternoon. Sorry. It was 1.30 in the afternoon because the time change i didn't i i remember because i hadn't changed my watch um we sat from 1 30 to 7 30 not doing anything waiting for wow. you know most of the people to get in there that's crazy so we you know we eventually get sent out we're allowed to eat we ate and then we get get on buses and we go to our squads and we dump our bag you know because we have the bag you, the bag you see me carrying around that's the bag i was issued in basic training yeah um and it's a nice bag, it, you know, it's, and I, it's, that's what Elsa has too. 
Um, and for the viewers, Elsa's my girlfriend, and she also graduated from. Uh, she's also in the Air National Guard, the same base as I am. Of course. Um, but anyways, so you dump your bags out after we get into our uh, like our uh, they're called bays. Uh, you dump your bags out. They, you went through everything. I was specifically getting. Uh, I remember getting yelled at because I had headphones that I was issued for the iPads that we were also <laughs> issued. We had iPads for our shit. Yeah, I was getting yelled at, and I was like, I, 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 I don't know what to do. Yeah, and uh, for the non-military people, when you're at basic training for the Air Force, you have to say, Sergeant Trainee last name reports as ordered and they had to teach us that over and over and over and nobody yeah. could fucking figure it out it was some of the funniest shit looking back on it but it's just like there was there was one kid that called himself a general oh and no we pulled the shit out of him and we ended up getting oh, him out of the air force whoa yeah Jeez. so he called himself I mean, a general to the drill sergeant or yeah because he just fucked up and so we called him general gruber oh my gosh uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a whole different story. I'm more than happy to get into it because I have a lot of stories wow, like that. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, but we didn't get him kicked out because we didn't like him. We he threatened to shoot us all at uh, when we went to go qualify for our rifles. Holy uh, smokes! Something we had to do. And that's it something got you so probably bad. can't do. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was wow. uh, it was to the point where like, hey, we are not comfortable going going and shooting with him. So he went and did a psyche vow and got kicked out so speaking of getting kicked out how many people because sitting for six hours straight you know having the scary black woman with the cord on her head you know dealing mm -hmm. with all that how many people dropped out of even the first day there so nobody dropped out of the first day nobody dropped because, out of the first day because they are pretty lenient on you mainly yeah. because of the fact that you're brand new you, you don't know what you're supposed to do you haven't been told what to do of course. So there's not really much getting in trouble. You are yeah. getting yelled at so much, so, so, so very much. Um, but there's nothing else to, you know, it's, you don't know what to do. That's the whole point. It's it's just seasoning. Uh, so you don't really get, start getting the possibility of getting kicked out until about the second week. Wow. So. So how many people, so about second week, about what percent of your class began to really drop out? So I'm I, I will correct you for the viewers. It's not a class. It's called a flight. A flight. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, you're fine. It's I. It's, I I feel like being politically correct here, just because we're talking about it. But of course, want to uh, teach the people the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So about uh, how many people dropped out? How, what percentage? You know. Was it 50 or lower or 20 or you're not allowed to be be like, hey, I'm done. Oh wow. You're not allowed to do that. So you so, once you go to basic, you're locked the hell in. That's it, you know. The only way to get out is if you go AWOL. Wow. Or if you purposely fail yourself. But you're not allowed to be like, hey, drill sergeant, I'm done. Can I go home? That's crazy. He don't. He does not give a fuck. She does not give a fuck. You're so once you there. once you get on that Greyhound bus, you are you're locked the hell in. That's yeah. Oh, wow. I'm I'm glad you think it's a Greyhound bus. It was just your 
it was like the shittiest school bus I've ever sat my ass in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. So through basic training, you did, you said you were going to go do rifle training. Um, what kind of other stuff did you do throughout basic training? Did you do anything related to airplanes or was it just basic military stuff? So it, it, basic training is, it stands for BMT. So your basic military training. So it is the, it is the bare minimum stuff that everybody needs to know. So we did not do anything really related to, um, airplanes. Um, would you like me to run through kind of like what we did yeah, down there? Of course. Um, so the, we did, uh, it's obviously PT, PTs being, uh, your physical training. So for Air Force standards, the uh, minimums you need to get as a uh, an eighteen year old male. I'm not sure about the female. I because it didn't apply to me. Uh, is a uh, twelve fifteen mile and a half, uh, thirty two well thirty three push ups and forty two sit ups. So by the end of the fifth week, which is when you do your PT test to that's like if you fail it, then you uh, if you fail it once, you retake it. If you fail it again, you get recycled. If you fail it for the third time, you get kicked out of the military. Oh wow! So by the fifth week, you have to pass this um, this um, PT test. So we worked towards that. So that was a huge thing. Uh, it was a lot of learning uh, rank structure, how that all works, um, d military discipline, how to form up in uh, what's called flights. Uh, do details, all that stuff. Um, we learned um, entry, uh, entry control procedures uh, and how to secure a location. Um, and uh, your TCCC, which is your uh, like like traumatic, like uh, I forget what it um, stands for, but it's your um, like combat medical like application of applying hemostatic dressings and tourniquets and all that stuff mm. um you just have you get a basic knowledge of that uh we also did uh our rifle qu uh, qualifications uh having to be able to just disassemble the rifle um and uh, reassemble the rifle know all the parts on it so that's you know your bulk carry assembly group and all the bits and pieces in there you know your upper your lower receiver your handguard your uh, butt stock, all that stuff. So you had to learn all that. Um, and then we also did chemical warfare stuff, or not chemical wow. warfare stuff. It's called CBURN, which stands for chemical, chemical, radiological, biological, neurological. Um, yeah. So you learn about all that stuff. Uh, so you do your chem gear stuff. You do uh, the gas chamber, uh, and you do some other stuff. Um, I can't think of anything. Um, oh, and then you do uh, your warrior week where you go out and you simulate a deployment with all your stuff and you finally get air conditioning for the first time. Because, by the way, I was I went down to Texas, San Antonio, Texas, so, you know, South Texas uh, during yeah. the summer. And there was not a single day where it was not triple digits. And it's also flat in Texas. So it's like a hairdryer. Uh, yeah. My squadron did the hvac system went out so we did not have air conditioning at all so when we were doing this warrior week stuff we're, we're like we were sitting in tents we had air conditioning inside the tents and access to ice we did not have access to ice that whole entire time down to wow. basic yeah so so we did 
we did that stuff and that was pretty pretty much it besides like all the graduation shit okay so um you obviously did the basic skills and whatnot but beyond just all of that what did you personally learn about yourself and what you could do um and what kind of life lessons did you learn that really stuck with you during that time so um as you know that i casually just dropped on you one day i did graduate top of my class um and i graduated top of my class because um the Air Force basic training likes to do a couple of things uh, with certain stuff uh, with leader roles. Uh, I ended up fulfilling a role as dorm chief. So dorm chief is you're in charge of you are either your dormitory or your flight. Mm-hmm. In this instance, I was in charge of both. So this was 80 odd some people. Total personnel, some people were the same people. So it's probably closer to about, I would say... Between anywhere between 50 and uh, 65 people, because in a flight, it's between the maximum flight is about 50 people. Yeah. So uh, I was in charge of about that many people. I, you know, give or take, I don't want to toot my horn or anything like that or be full myself, but I'm trying to give a best estimate that I can. Yeah. So I, did, I, I, you know, I was in charge of everybody. Um, and the one thing, that I still use to this day is I will tell you once, if you don't change it, I can't change you. All I can do is ask you to change. And I use that so much for everything. I realize. So that was like a leadership skill mainly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I will, I will sit there and I will try to help you and I'll be there if you need the help, but you have to help yourself. It's what I learned. And that's not for other people. That is also for myself. That I have to learn how to help myself. And what I need to know when to reach out and ask for help. That is, those are some of the millions of things that I learned in basic. Um, Definitely. There's, there's so much stuff that, I mean, I'm forgetting that I'm sure that I will eventually come back on. But, and that's just basic. That's within that seven and a half week period of just doing shit. So you graduated top of your class from basic training and then went off to tech school. Um, Yes. So about tech school, you started to learn uh, the stuff about avionics or... When kind was of. that? Okay. So it is, it is a process. So as an avionics troop, uh, you go through a class called, um, it, it changes so much. It used to be electronical principles, but it's now, when I went through, it was avionics fundamentals or ABI. Um, oh, oh, AF. I forget what's uh, the acronym. ABI is avionics acronym definitely but uh avionics fundamentals is pretty much learning your basic electrical fundamentals so how like waveguides work which is like fighters use waveguides um how radar works how uh like the basics of that stuff not how the actual like radar of an aircraft but how like radar 
became to be how transformers work, how circuit breakers work, how zyodes you know, work, how uh, you know diodes work, uh, how lights work, all that shit, how wires work, all this, that, capacitance, resistors, because that's like all of our job. Definitely. So just fundamental skills and whatnot related to yeah. that, but not the technical stuff yeah. with it itself. So you do that for like, for when I was in, it was like two and a half months when like the people that are now coming into like my shop were coming back from like tech school and uh, all that. They're like, it's like two weeks long. I'm like, what the fuck? But anyways. That's crazy. So after you graduate, yeah, it is. It pisses me off. Uh, after you graduate from there, you go to your airframe. So um, anybody that's a fourth or fifth gen fighter, uh, heavies, bombers, or special aircraft, I think, um, yeah. will get sent out. So the fourth gen fighters are all together. The fifth gen fighters are not. Okay. And um, the heavies are together because they're separated into three different subsystems. So it's your ComNav, uh, GAT, and your electronic warfare. Or so you have like that, which is those three, which is like those three systems are all what avionics for fighters does. So fighters do all of those systems. So yeah. your GAT, your ComNav, and your EW. So, and that's the same thing for bombers too. Um, so you go and learn your aircraft and specifics about how the, about the aircraft and, um, you know, all the intricate details of it, how the systems work. And then when, while you sit in the classroom and learn it, you go out to the jet and you go work on the jet and you go do those, um, like apply those things you've been learning in the classroom to the real life application with stuff you will be doing on the flight line and learning how to work on the aircraft. Awesome. It's kind of how that works. Yeah, of course. So how much of that knowledge from tech school do you feel like really transferred over to starting your job on base? Do you feel like you learned a lot going and actually doing it itself? No. Okay. Nope. Nope. So, um, <laughs> you know, I learned the only thing that I found useful was all the acronyms. I learned. yeah, of course. Air Force <laughs> fucking loves their acronyms, just like how General Aviation loves yeah. their acronyms. <laughs> oh, we do it love is, our acronyms. It is awful. I appreciate it, but sometimes some things all look the fucking same. Or you yeah. have the same acronym, but it means something completely different. And it's oh, a yeah. different system. And it's just like, what am I reading? So that was nice because I did learn that stuff. But, and I learned like little bits and pieces. But I was, I still am a baby when it comes at this time. I'm still a baby when it comes to the flight line. I have very little experience. But I learned so much working on the aircraft on the flight line when I came back because of the opportunity I have or I had. I'm not going to get too much into it uh, because I mean, it's not that I can't talk about it, but it's just I don't, I would rather not um, go into like details about it. But yeah, the, 
the time I came in was the conversion. So we we're getting rid of our aircraft. So we were making sure our aircraft were ready to get uh, you know sent out to the other A-10 bases. So there was a lot of stuff I got to do that I, in that chance is slim to none. And especially coming back at that time to go learn all that stuff. It was a very great time. So I did take so much stuff away from that because there, there was every day I would come in, you know, I would wake up at four 30 in the morning, drive like an hour and 10 minutes to the uh, airport, come in, uh, get on base, start on my computer, you know, 30 minutes early, uh, start loading up all my stuff, get tools ready for the air, you know, aircrafts that I knew we were going to do maintenance on. Uh, and then like seven o'clock after we, like the shop had their coffee, would go out and work on aircrafts until lunch, uh, eat lunch for like an hour and 30. And that's kind of just like, take a, take a break. And then after that, we'd go out and work out about, you know, until four o'clock, come back, put tools away until about five. And then, you know, so it, it was that for like, even before I got there, they were doing that for like the last like five months and I worked for an additional six months. So they were doing that almost a whole year around. And that's, that's, I mean, that's how all flight line works, but there's like, for most times, there's times when you just you hit a dead spot and like the aircrafts aren't, you know, breaking or anything. And that's, you know, in some flight lines are just like that, but ours was, we were getting all the stuff done. So it was, it was very interesting to see. Definitely. Um, briefly kind of explain. So you replace and service the avionics inside the 810 Warhogs. Briefly kind of explain that to me as much as you can. Um, generally a little more about that job. So we, we do, I don't know if this is the right way to say it. We do, we pretty much do maintenance and all the shit that the pilot uses besides the environmental systems. Of course. Um, so we work in part with like all the navigation systems, all the like, let's, okay, let me, let me, let's, let me use this as an example. So the pilot is flying and he is not getting a proper read on his TACAN. TACAN being the military version of a VOR, right? Yeah. So when the pilot lands, he calls up a certain code. Hey, I'm this code. So the pilot gets out, you know, shuts down the aircraft. Of course. Um, and then we grab the tools that we need to like he'll he'll give us like what he was having the issues with. Yeah. We'll we'll go and we'll figure out through certain parts of like because we have like instructions for that. So like, hey, if this is if this is it's troubleshooting. So we're just pretty much going out and troubleshooting the aircraft. So we'll troubleshoot the aircraft and then fix the tack amp. So, you know, sometimes it's just as easy, and this is about 90% of the time, it's turning it off and turning it back on, or the yeah. pipe. It's not like there's stuff in the aircraft where the volume is all the way down, and the pilot's like, hey, this thing isn't working, and we just turn the audio up. 
for them and then it magically works again or their brightness is all the way down and we uh -huh. just turn the brightness up and then it works yeah definitely so i mean from that or you know taking panels off the aircraft getting inside and taking parts out and replacing them or doing a you know complete new wire harness i mean that's that's you know what we do and there's there's so much that we do it's easier to say what we don't do i guess if that makes sense yeah of course um i know for ga and whatnot the process to do that so if i wanted to go um replace like a vor indicator in you know 172 i'd have to be an amp uh and get all these certifications how does that work with the military does going to tech school and doing that give you the certification you need to go work on airplanes or are, are you having to go get an amp as well or no okay so going to tech school is kind of like getting your amp uh-huh in a way, if you think about it, we have um, different progressions where you're able to do jobs and sign them off. Um, I, you know, going back and like, let's say I was working on an aircraft back in May, I wouldn't be allowed to go out by myself and work on an aircraft. I would have yeah. some, I would have to have a supervisor overlook me. Uh, and they still do because it's a usually you go out in pairs uh, and when you usually go out and work on an aircraft um, yeah. to have somebody look over your stuff. Um, but the Air Force is uh, very regulated about that. So they want somebody to double check it. So you can, you'll go out in the team and go work it, work it and you'll overlook each other's work. Um, and pretty much graduating the tech school just gives you the ability to work on aircraft because all these other guys, if you screw up, like they're there to help you. Of course. Yeah. So you're having to work a lot in teams uh, and get everything supervised because what you're doing, I mean, you're working on some pretty high tech advanced shit. You know, that's life or death for that pilot to have. Well, it's $10 know. million dollar aircraft. $10 million aircraft as well. Mm -hmm. Well, doing all that, you're having to work in teams, get everything double checked. Yep. Um, ten million dollar aircraft. So, up at Fort Wayne, I know you guys recently changed from A10s to F16s. How has that transition been? Oh my god! Don't even get me started on it. It's such a fucking <laughs> shit show. Really? Is it more the transition of the new planes that's a shit show, or is it just the F16 itself? It's everything. It's everything. It's uh the 16s are not in great condition, <laughs> so and also yeah. it's teaching. Okay, so imagine doing this. You have like somebody that used to work on you know Fords, like four trucks for their entire life, <laughs> and not entire life, but like they're entire career and then you send them to like go work on a fucking boat wow. and it's like not even sorry that's probably not a great analogy let's say like a nissan rogue you know it's just like hey this is all the same stuff but just in different places go figure it out for your fucking self like we yeah. have people teaching us but it's just like what what are we looking at what what the fuck is this shit you know, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's a, it's just, it's, I mean, it just started, but it's just not fun. 
Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, it's definitely, it's a different generation of fighter, right? No, so 16s and A10s are uh, both 4th gen fighters. Okay, so both 4th gen fighters. And those were, uh, you said they didn't arrive in the best condition. Both used then from a different base or? Heavily used, heavily used. So, I mean. Where were they used at? You know, I don't know. I don't really care enough to ask, but I th- fair enough. Think I heard they're through. I think some are through like a training base. Okay. So they don't even have half the shit we need in it. Like they yeah. are severely behind maintenance. Yeah. So how does a National Guard base and their aircraft work differently than a fully fledged Air Force base? It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Okay. So. We fly our ops and our sorties a little bit differently. Uh, yeah. Don't ask me how they do it because I haven't been in uh, while we were doing flight ops. So I don't really know. I just know it's a little bit different uh, because of the status of the pilots. So we don't have as many full-time pilots on base as an active duty base would, uh, but we still have about the same kind of operations yeah so we're like if we were at full capacity we would be no different from an active duty base if that makes sense now skill level and maintenance level you know that will vary depending on base um so that's just another thing to consider yeah yeah of course um do you think you'll come around to liking the F-16s eventually, or will the A-10 always just kind of be your sweetheart? Oh, A-10 will always be my sweetheart. Uh, and Matt, let me tell you this. <laughs> I think the 16s are going to be the bane of my existence because really? I, I got into the cockpit. I So the D model, is we were working on one of the D models, and we're doing a check on it and yeah. I had to get into the, the uh, Wizzo seat, which is the rear seat. And the I have like about two feet of give. And you know, I'm a thick, I'm a thick boy. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I'm six foot, I'm 200 pounds and I'm broad shouldered. Yeah. Uh, and so imagine a man trying to get into a like i it's it's pretty much just a hamper like i yeah i will i'll do it on camera i had to tuck my i had to tuck my knees into my chest swing my legs over and like i'm kicking like the ejection seat handle for the rear seat i'm kicking the throttle grip like i'm kicking everything just because i'm trying to fit my fat ass into the back of the seat and like I'm like folded over like a lawn chair, trying to swing my back to not hit my head on the canopy. Of course. So you just felt yeah. like you know really cramped, hard to do maintenance in there, let alone eventually fly that. Um. So when you're done with, uh, when you're done with, you know, going through kind of that job for a while, you go get your bachelor's and you go and complete OTS. Will you have a choice on what type of plane you go fly or like, I know you really like the A-10, so I'm guessing you really want to go fly those as well. 
is there any way that you can increase the likelihood of you go flying in A-10 or? Yes and no. So here's how I'll break it. I'll kind of break it up. So how active duty works is you fight for those slots. It's a highly competitive um, course. Yeah. Um, career field. Who the hell wouldn't want to be a fighter jet pilot? Of course, that's like everyone going to the Air Force probably. Exactly. Um, oh, excuse me. Uh, but you have – you'll go up against all these people, and um, if you graduate at the top of your class, you do have the ability to pick what you want to fly. Yeah. Um, now, when you go and you go to the uh, training school, you're broken up into – Jesus, excuse me. You're broken up into fighters, heavies, and uh, refuelers, I think. I can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that is the subsystem. Honestly, yeah. I only care about fighters, so that's the only thing I really keep up with. <laughs> um, but I know you're broke, like fighters are fighters, and I know at least I know there's fighters and heavies, so it's different. You, you, you get different kinds of training on different stuff. Yeah. Um, so for active, you get to pick, you know, if you graduate the top of your class, if you don't, then you get thrown into a random slot. It's kind of just whatever the big Air Force wants you to fly. Now, if you're a reservist or a National Guard pilot, you will, unless you do so bad that they have to kick you out, then you will fly whatever that base has. So the reason I, so for the people that are listening, I love A-10s. A-10s are my favorite aircraft. Um, The 122nd was an A-10 base before we switched to 16s. Uh, When you commissioned through a base through National Guard Reserves, whatever that base has, let's say it's A-10s, if you commission through it, you're going to fly A-10s because that's what aircraft they're going to have. They're not going to, if you commission through that base, they're not going to send you to another base to go fly through it because you've already done all your paperwork. Yeah. So it's in theory picking your airframe. Yeah. So I would have to switch bases, but we're also retiring the A-10 in like 28. So I probably won't get to fly them. But the other thing is, we've always been wanting to retire the A-10 since like the since 2006, and it's 2024, and we still have them. So yeah, yeah. Very so true. we'll see what we'll see what happens with them. I just know that my, our base specifically won't uh, have them. I know that you can go on a website like controller.com and buy older military jets and stuff. Do you think that once they retire those, that'll ever Absolutely. hit a mark? Absolutely. I would, yeah. One, I, I, I would buy that. I would, I would pull out as many home loans as I need to to buy. <laughs> oh yeah, Fine. going to debt for the rest of your life, even just for one flight on that thing. I'm sure, just yeah. to fly that, that'd be awesome. I don't even know who would provide type ratings for that because it's got a jet engine. I mean, you're gonna need to get a type rating, but yeah. Oh my gosh, maybe you got to start. You know, if the military ever doesn't work out, you can start your own typewriting school, but yeah, <laughs> just get a whole fleet of them. You know, I'm sure yeah. plenty of people, including myself would go love to do that, but um, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Have you heard anything about F 35 has been implementing into Terre Haute? Uh, I work at a deli as well, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I had the air force people come in the other day and I always ask the Air Force people when they're in uniform, like, oh, do you fly at all? Like, 
you know, what do you do and stuff? Sometimes I'll mention yeah. you. Um, I had one mentioned the other day that they were wanting to put F-35s, possibly like a small chance at Terre Haute. So what are your thoughts on like F-35s? Would you ever go want to fly one of those? Because those are very new, very nice. So I originally hated the F-35 because it was supposed to replace the A-10. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think that's going to happen because um, there's a whole lot of jargon. Long story short, the National Guard, and well, I think it was just the National Guard, was just recently approved to have fifth-gen fighters. Yeah. The only bases that are currently on order, there's four bases – and I can only tell you two. That's the 124th, which is Jacksonville, Florida, which is supposed to get. Uh, they're supposed to replace their, uh, I think their C Model 15s, which I only know that because my buddy, uh, that my, I'm like the godfather of his, oh, not godfather, but his, um, fuck, what, what is it? Uncle. It's, I'm non-biological uncle, which <laughs> I think is like a godfather. I don't know what it is. I, I you know, feel like that's godfather, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. non biological uncle. Um, yeah, I you know I I it's it's my buddy. He was my piss mate. I lived with this guy you know for like half you know a year. Great guy, love you, Chris. Um, but yeah, he's there. That squad is supposed to get thirty fives. Uh, wow. I think there's a place in Kansas that or Arkansas or Arkansas, Arkansas. Um, that is supposed to get uh, 30. Oh, I think they currently have 35s. I don't think Terre Haute will get them uh, because they haven't done flight ops in such a long time. And that's Definitely. such a heavy do. And with fifth gen fighters and them being a self aircraft, there's so much stuff you have to do with the uh, military installation that I don't think they've been keeping up with that, mainly because they are an intelligence wing at the 181st. Yeah. Did you ever get the opportunity? to taxi out to runway tree two via like Delta. I think it's Delta. Maybe yeah. it's Bravo. And you look over to your left and you see that there's, so um, I personally train out at Terre Haute regional airport. Um, I don't, what air wing is there? I get 124th, right? It's the 181st. 181st. They used to fly F4s um, during my training. I don't know what it was, but I've only taken off of three out of four of the runways. I hadn't flown out of tree two yet. So I looked over and I saw these two F4s just sitting there like, you know, rusting out and stuff. And I saw my flight instructor like, that's the coolest shit ever or whatnot. But they've not done air operations in a while. So um, if I'm going into Air Force National Guard and I'm going to a base that doesn't even have planes, like what kind of general jobs are offered there? Because I know you're able to do avionics, you know, a lot of other people are able to do like flight stuff there, be a pilot or help support the aircraft. What kind of jobs do they offer at a base that doesn't even do like have aircraft at it? So you're going to see more of your intelligence based uh, stuff. Yeah. So Cybersecurity or something. Yeah, cybersecurity, your intelligence, your, um, you know, your, like, your, some of your more top secret stuff is what you'll start seeing. Um, you know, you're, you're, like, using satellites and spying on people and, wow. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, some of these bases will also have your special forces uh, guys, so your TACP, your JTO, 
your TACP, your PJs, and your CCTs uh, for yeah. the Air Force um, down at uh, the 181st in Terre Haute. They have, uh, I believe it's PJs, um, which are your pararescue. Okay. Um, so those guys will be down there. So uh, And we don't have that uh, here at uh, in Fort Wayne because we are a fighter wing. Um, the 181st is now an intelligence wing. Uh was a prior fighter wing. So there's just a lot of different stuff. I think it's honestly, I think it's either uh, you have your fighter wings, your airlift wings, uh, your feel, uh, your feeling and your intelligence. I think it's all what uh, kind of like your installations. There might be a couple more that I'm not aware of and I'm not afraid to admit that, but it's just like, those are the only ones I'm uh, aware of. Yeah, definitely. Um, just kind of like a fun, silly, goofy question as well. Yeah. How qualified do you have to be to go fly Air Force One? Um, how do they even select people to go do that? If you know, that's like a really high up thing to go do. I don't even know. I don't. They, yeah, I bet I they just pick you. I mean, because you know. I think that's crazy. I, I, I think it is too, and I think it's from all branches. I think it's just like, hey, this is your track re- like record. We want you to fly, and it, I don't think it's really something you can say no to. I think you yeah. just do it. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. Shoot. Um. Well, that's cool. How long generally do people stay in the military, Air Force, all that? Um. From what I've heard, or just my general perception, you kind of sign like a lease on yourself for a certain amount of time. How old does that work? So you can either sign a four or six year contract, and okay. you spend a total of eight years inactive if you only do one contract. So if I were to sign a four year contract, you also sign a like addition to that contract. It's another four years of inactive service that they are allowed to pull you from like that status but in that status you are like not like assigned to anything you have no obligation it's just like if like it's like the draft like they would pull you before the draft so like let's say we have a world war three and you just got done you know you're a year done after your contract and you yeah. still got four years, and they can pull you and be like, "Hey, you still got three more," and then you know you keep you, and then you you can be done after that because then your contract's done. Yeah, um, I signed a six year, so I have two in, inactive, but I'm going to re, either reenlist or commission, whichever one comes first. So definitely, but, if you could go mm-hmm. back in time right now and tell yourself something um you know you could stop the bus at the gates of your basic training pull yourself off the bus and tell yourself something what would you tell yourself um really deep question (laughs) you know uh i love these questions because my answer is i wouldn't do that you wouldn't do that i i am a firm believer in things happen for a reason yeah and I take every single mistake I make and I learn from it. Wow. I, you know, I enjoy mistakes because I learn from them. Definitely. Um, you know, 
I do have regrets and there's some things I wish I could change, but those things make me who I am. And if I were to change that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Definitely. Yeah. You know, what would if you that tell? makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. What would you tell people who want to follow in your footsteps, you know, um, go through guard, you know, get that guard job, go get a bachelor's along the way. Um, what kind of advice would you provide them going and doing that? Um, you know, it's not an easy process and, you know, I'm, I'm still a baby when it comes to it. You know, I'm still very early on in my career. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm not even near being a pilot yet for the air force. Yeah. Um, it is a long process. You, excuse me, you will inevitably doubt yourself no matter how prideful you are of yourself. Um, no matter how strong you are, you are going to have times where you are going to break down. You are going to cry. You are going to reach out because you don't know what the fuck you're going to do. You yeah. feel like you're making the biggest mistake of your life. You don't think you're doing it right. You know, you can be the strongest man. You will never want to admit it, but it'll happen. I've Definitely. seen grown men cry in front of me and it's something that happens, you know, nobody is strong enough to sit there and do something like that and be 100% not have anything wrong, go wrong. Yeah. So there's going to be mistakes have, along the way for sure. Yes. Yeah. My, my encouragement is to take it one day at a time and learn from everything you do. My big thing is I look to the future and I worry and I worry and I worry. I, at least I used to do that. Now, what I you know, kind of just told myself is I just I stopped looking to the future. I like having a plan, but I don't bet on it anymore. Definitely. You should have a plan for yourself, but you should not bet on it. Definitely. So take one day at a time. And realize that you are going to fall short, but it does not mean it's the end is what I learned and what I have to say. And I encourage people, you know, and to have reach out, you know, that's something I struggle with. I don't like reaching out to people, but just reach out. So, yeah, you need to learn self-sufficiency. You learn that in the military, but always reach out to people for help when you need it as well. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, yeah. I think that pretty much wraps things up. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Hopefully yeah, this helps. Hopefully this helps somebody wanting to kind of follow your footsteps or go anyway with military aviation too. I think you did an excellent job yeah. explaining, you know, all that really in depth too and providing a good way to simplify all that. Cause knowing how all that works, I mean, yeah. it's confusing as hell, honestly, how the process of going in works and all of that. So and I'm sure I went on a lot of different tangents because I, I got a little bit of a tism, but like. <laughs> That's I, the know, fun I part. Thought, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And that concludes this episode.